Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. Welcome back. Hey, <laughs> how are you, Catherine? I'm good. It's good to see you. And where uh, the heck have you been? <laughs> I've been like all over. Um, the last trip, it kind of went off kilter, but we did a six week van life tour through Colorado, um, Utah, California, Arizona, back to Colorado you know, all the things in between Idaho was in there. Um, yeah, we talked yeah. to you in Lake Tahoe and then you went off the grid for a few weeks. Yes, I did. I went off the grid for a few weeks. So I had some great but, co-hosts while you were gone, but I missed, uh, I totally listened to both of them. Um, was super jealous of the conversations. It was like, this sucks. But, um, obviously Laura King and Allison Tetrick can co-host circles around me. So it was good to hear, hear them chat. <laughs> I mean, Alan Patrick can co-host circles around both of us. <laughs> um, no, but it was great to hear all those conversations and it was hilarious to like, listen to it from an out- outside perspective. I was like, I think we should record that, re-record that gooder commercial. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the bell corva, because people, are, people message me and they're like, what word did you say? It's bell, bell corva, L C O R V A. And they still are my favorite shorts. I know I was, I, you should still get the green ones. I'm going to stand behind that. Um, that's the only reason I don't want to re-record it is because like that was authentic. You should get the green <laughs> bell corva shorts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and since we recorded the gooder, we've gotten our gooder, um, aviators, which I love. Um, so many compliments, so many compliments on those. I have the turquoise and the red and everybody's like, what are those? Even I put an Instagram post and somebody's like, what sunglasses are those? I know they're Mm -hmm. awesome. So anyway, everybody should visit our sponsors, even though we weren't doing a sponsorship plug. (laughs) They have been amazing. Maybe we, maybe uh, we can edit this out and this can become the new commercial for <laughs> both of them. Anyway, how have you been? What's, what's going on in your world? 
Uh, you know, I've gotten to go out riding a little bit in the last few weeks, which has been nice because, you know, I didn't get to really ride any um, when I was out in Washington. So just some fun local rides with friends. Uh, I wrote a piece for Triathlete Magazine about gravel cycling. Yay. So that's I'm going to look that up. Out. It should actually come out Tuesday when the podcast comes out. And then I'm writing a couple more pieces. So that was fun to, you know, go back to my triathlon roots and think about, um, which ironically, while I was editing one of the pieces, my friend that I took out riding, that's a triathlete, uh, texted me about her ride. Like she's now gone going out on her own and taking her triathlete friends nice. about how much she loves it. And so like, <laughs> I was like, can you give me a quote? So I ended up with her quote in the Perfect. article. So, um, so yeah, that that was a lot of fun, but you have kind of a big quote unquote events. We have, yeah. I mean, there's a lot like going on. First of all, you know, we are so close with the DK rebrand. Um, it's taken longer than we wanted, but we are so, so, so close. It's going to get announced. We're so close. Um, you know, COVID's still a very real thing. Um, and lifetime's so, a big company. Like, it, yeah. Know, and just getting through this process. Our, yep. What is it? Dot all your T's and cross. Dot all your I's and cross all your T's. Yes. Let's do it that way. Let's dot the I's and cross the T's. So, <laughs> but that we're so one. close. If it's you're not lifetime, you're a small yeah. company, you can do that. Right. Um, your lifetime and you can get sued. You have to do all the right things. You have to do all the right things. It's a very true statement. Um, and then um, secondly, Big Sugar is supposed to be uh, this October 24th. And obviously we had to postpone because of, again, COVID. But we're doing the Sweet Tooth Challenge which is our virtual challenge. Um, and it's so, it's you just really me about fun. that. And I was like, I, what is that? I'm like, just, am I getting candy in the mail? Yeah. You can, <laughs> it's, it's a sweet challenge. Um, if you go to bigsugar.com and we are giving a code to all the girl gone girls gone gravel listeners. Um, you can use the code sweetie to get $20 off your, um, entry. Um, you get some cool swag with that, including, uh, untapped maple syrup, jar of real maple syrup that's really it's uh, yeah it's really a sweet Our challenge syrup is like the real deal it's the real deal and you'll have it going into your uh your winter months so um where you're writing anyway yes i'm for pancakes man i like all of a sudden i was like actually i, I would want french toast but anyway that's a whole other thing so anyway sign up um but we we've, we've got a group that is going to go down there and do some um COVID appropriate riding of the course. So if you're in the area, let us know. But, um, you know, the truth is, is like when we got the assets for this year's big sugar race, they were rainy, cold day down there. And we, we need to get some new pictures of people riding on those, um, amazing gravel roads, like don't look so miserable and the colors are going to be popping. So oh my gosh, Paul yeah. Is- gorgeous right now. I mean, yep. we're obviously Georgia, it just like fall happens much later. Yeah. Um, Same so with Bentonville. To see the changes, but Laura King posts these photos. I know. Sick, um, from Vermont, And I'm like, I'm driving to Vermont tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how Colorado, like we were out there in the height of the fall change and I just, you know, lots of smiling. Yeah. Lots I grew up in East Tennessee. So that was what falls were always like for me. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's going on. There's just so much stuff. It's going to be, it's going to be a good week. And Amy Ross is our 
guest today. Yeah, speaking of Bentonville. Speaking of Bentonville. Yeah. She's yeah. the one that is building the bike system. I don't know. Yeah. She's part of well, the she's system. definitely driving the tourism and taking yeah. over, you know, really putting Bentonville on the map as a cycling Mecca. And, um, I, I don't think you could pick anybody better to, to do that. Um, yeah, her boss, Kayleen Griffith, her. was right in hiring her. So. Yeah, well, I loved her whole story, you know, not yeah. just about her history in the bike industry, um, but, and what's happening in Bentonville, but also her health challenges that she's mm-hmm. faced this year, which are, I mean, she's just had to be such an advocate for herself. Yeah. And, but you get to see how the line traces all the way back through her whole life of advocacy yeah. for herself, which I think is a lesson that all of us need. And I'm glad she opened up and is sharing that piece of her story with, with our listeners, because I think it's a very important one. Yeah. So we will go on to our interview with Amy Ross. Hey, Catherine, I'm so excited that Gooders come on as one of our sponsors. I know we love Gooders sunglasses because they come in so many fun colors and sassy fun names. Like I got Lance's afternoon uppers. And I got rosé before (laughs) brosé. They're really fun. And they're also performance sunglasses. So they're no slip, no bounce, and polarized. They start at a ridiculously low price of $25 a pair. (laughs) Which means that Gooder is generously offering our listeners nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. You do not need a discount when you already have the most affordable performance shades on the planet. So go to gooder.com slash feisty and that's G-O-O-D-R.com slash feisty now. These glasses even look good with mud on them. They do. (laughs) Christy, you know we have a new podcast sponsor? Did you get your gear yet? I did. I was so excited. Belcorva showed up the other day and I, um, I'm in love. (laughs) I think I have my new, very favorite shorts, both for working out, walking my dog and like posts a long ride. Yeah, totally. That, well, and I got that green. Did you get the green? You didn't get the green. I I got got the green. I got like an eggplant color. They're fantastic. I'm sorry. My green ones are better than your eggplant. (laughs) Well, I really love the fun colors and all the fun patterns. I got really fun pants as well. And I love, this is my favorite thing. They have a pocket in every pair of pants. So like after a ride, slide them on, put my cell phone in the pocket. It's amazing. Yep. They work perfect. And they're, they are the, the shorts are the right length. My three quarter length tights. They're obviously, they're an awesome length, but they're super fun. I got the black and white stripe and they're, they're really cute. So I'm so stoked. And the quality is, uh, yeah, I was stoked. And they're incredibly affordable. I know. We are very excited to have Belcorva as a new sponsor to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. You can go over to belcorva.com to pick up your fun new tights or shorts. Get the green ones. Well, welcome to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. Christy's back with me this week. I'm so excited. It was so good to see your face this morning. I know. You and your little warehouse, whatever's going on there. I know. I know. You know, I'm always mixing it up. Yeah. 
And then we have joining us from Bentonville, Arkansas, Amy Ross. Welcome, Amy. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course, we're so glad you're here. I'm stoked. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I'm excited. <laughs> well, Amy, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your background and how you got into cycling and... Yeah, um, <laughs> we'll get there. Um, yeah, I grew up in a, a small town in northern Michigan and grew up in a extended family with a lot of a lot of boys. There was only a couple of us girls. And so we spent our summers chasing the boys around, which involved a lot of riding bikes and digging in the dirt and building jumps. And so I think cycling was you know, ingrained in me at a really, really early age. Um, you know, from there after college, I had the opportunity to move west with a friend and we landed in San Diego, California, which was- uh, Way west. <laughs> yeah, pretty big <laughs> space for someone who came from a town of like 6,000 people. So, um, you know, I was, I was in my early 20s, early to mid 20s. And, uh, you know, the world was my oyster at that point. And uh, I found a really awesome job working for a boutique mountain bike manufacturer called Ellsworth Bicycles. Um, they were just outside of San Diego County. And so I, I jumped on board just as an entry level sales assistant and made my way um, through some different positions in that company over the course of about three years. Um, and then shortly after that, after I left there, I moved a little farther north to Huntington Beach, California, and ended up moving in with an old college friend, which was great because then, you know, I felt like I was a little bit more home again and took a job with Crank Brothers, which is a mountain bike component manufacturer and worked there for, again, another few years. While I was there, I met my now husband. He was working for a sister brand and he was living in Colorado. And so we were doing the long distance thing. He was traveling a bunch and he would make his trips like around to whatever and then come into California for the weekend and then go back out. And uh, eventually I, convinced him to move to California. And so um, he finally moved out there and we lived there together for about two years. And then in 2012, um, got married and about the same time he got offered a job to take him back to Colorado. And so we up and moved. Um, so him going back to, to Colorado to his home state and here I was venturing someplace new, inching a little bit closer back to Michigan. Um, and once we moved there, I spent a year kind of trying to figure it out. Um, Colorado's a, a really unique state and uh, he had lived in so many different places. And so I spent some time working in a bike shop, which I had never done um, in Aspen of all places. It was that doesn't suck. <laughs> but it was kind of weird though. I don't think that you have 
bike shop experiences like you do in Aspen. So um, I, I recognized pretty early on that that what I was experiencing might not be the same that most other people do. <laughs> um, but it was a really good opportunity to see that side of the industry. And then uh, while we were there, we had the opportunity to create a high school mountain bike team that became part of the Nike League there, um, which met, led me to joining the board of the Colorado High School NICA League. And I did that for six or seven years. Um, and then just as I was joining that board, I also took a position with the International Mountain Bicycling Association. And so we moved from Aspen down to, to Golden, Colorado, and we were living on the Front Range. And so um, I spent five years with IMBA in 2015, I was asked to come to a board meeting in Bentonville, Arkansas. <laughs> and I had no knowledge of Bentonville, what was going on here. Thankfully, I had a friend that was working at IMBA that she had grown up in the area. And she's like, I'm so excited for you to go. I can't wait to show you around. And we came for a weekend. I was obviously pleasantly surprised. I think that's one of the unique things that Northwest Arkansas has is the stigma of it's Arkansas and then you get here and um, it, you're easily in, impressed with what amenities and opportunities there are. Um, and so with that, in 2016, we announced that we were going to do the Ember World Summit in Bentonville that fall. And so I was on the team that was helping produce that summit. So I spent a ton of time in Arkansas throughout that year, getting to know a bunch of different stakeholders and planning for that summit. Um, we hosted that summit in 2016. It was widely successful, biggest one we've ever had. Um, and it did wonders for both Bentonville and um, IMBA at the time. And so fast forward from there, we kept looking for different opportunities in which to um, partner with the folks down here. And in 2017, I worked with a team of women to create the IMBA Women's Uprising. And we held it here in Bentonville in March of 2018. We had close to 200 women. Um, I was fortunate enough that uh, Rebecca Rush has become a friend of mine, thanks to my husband, Nat. And she was so on board with supporting this that she came in and joined forces with me to basically be the host for the weekend. And it was an amazing, amazing opportunity. And I still get communications from different women that have attended that showing like what they've done with it, whether or not they created a, a woman's club or how much more they've gotten into their local advocacy. And then I've seen what it's done here in Bentonville and how it kind of led to some of the creation of Women of Oz here and inspired those women. Um, so fast forward a little bit, 2018, there was an opportunity that came up for the position of Bike Bentonville, which is within Visit Bentonville, our tourism organization. And they reached out and asked if I was interested, but I would have to move. <laughs> so, um, I think for me, the decision was pretty easy. My husband being a Colorado native, a little bit tougher, um, but I talked him into it. 
he was a little like, we're going to go for a year and try this out. And I'm like, okay, well, fast forward two years. We also just bought a house here. So I think he's there. He's sold. So this, that's my, my journey to Bentonville. And, and here I am now two years into this position and it's, it's super fun. Well, there's about 30 questions I have based off of that history. <laughs> I think um, I've always just found you like such a force to be reckoned with and um, but also such a, a team player and, and super dynamic. When you first worked at Ellsworth, what year was that? 2006. I mean, like how many women were in the field in 2006 doing these sorts of things? Like that's like, you know, it's really kind of an interesting opportunity to reflect back a little bit. So 2006, you started working for Ellsworth and you had one other female, two other females, no other females. What was it like? There was one other female that worked there. Um, I think she started as part-time and then ended up full-time. Um, she was an office manager, accounting um, assistant. I mean, it was, a, so yeah, it was mostly guys that I was working with. Thank God for growing up with a bunch of mm -hmm boy cousins and a brother that like, they never made me feel that I was ever inadequate or couldn't do anything. And so I think that always gave me the confidence to be comfortable in a space with a bunch of males. Um, but even working at Ellsworth, like everybody was, all the guys there were just like, you know, they, it's nice to have a female presence around. And I remember times that like somebody would call and ask questions about the bikes or something technical and I would answer it and they're like, okay, that's great. Is, is there anyone else there I can talk to? <laughs> like, I remember getting this call one day and I was just like, sure, I know what you're going at. Like, you wanna talk to one of the guys that knows. So we would like patch the call over um, to an, another guy that worked there who was exactly the same age as me. We were born a month apart. We were great friends. And he heard the whole conversation was just like, oh my God, couldn't believe that this was happening. And so sure enough, he picks up the phone, guy asks all the questions. He says verbatim what I said. And the guy's like, awesome, thanks. This is, you've been super helpful. And I was just like, oh, this is, he this should have patched working. it back to you. Hold on. I've got somebody here that knows this better than I do and have the female voice come back on the phone. <laughs> I know it's like, um, I mean, but that just, it just goes to show that, you know, what do you do with it? Like I never got totally upset about it. It was just like, I get it. Um, but it, it definitely always lit a fire in me to do more and to be more. I mean, I, I took a clinic or a class with Fox racing shocks because we had to know about the suspension for the bike. Mm -hmm. And when they gave us the test at the end of the class, out of everyone in the office, I was the only one that passed 100%. And it's just like, and it, it's not that like, you know, I'm necessarily any better, but I think it just goes to show that like women have to drive a lot more. You've got to you got to fight for what you want. And, and I did, like, I, I wanted to prove that, that doesn't matter, you know, that I'm a female, I can do this stuff too. Mm -hmm. So 
your um, role with EMBA, <clears throat> what was that? What did all that entail? So when I started, I started in the community or government affairs um, department, which was basically working on advocacy. And um, it was trying to help tell the story of what government affairs was doing to the broader mountain bike community. And, and that department is, it's so hard to explain some of that work because it's mm -hmm. not sexy. It's not fun. It's, you know, and a lot of people have a hard time and, um, that was the first time that I had been on kind of that side of things. And so it was a really interesting role for me to, to get into the heart of what the organization was built on. Um, and I did that for about a year and a half and then, um, moved over into the development team that kind of handled more of the fundraising partnerships and event stuff, which was, um, more suitable to my background. It allowed me to be a little bit more successful in that space. Um, and so during that time, I was able to, to work with partners like NICA and um, we worked to create the Teen Trail Corps program in 2014, um, bringing some students together. And, you know, we had outlined a path that we thought brought these students together. We brought them to the Ember World Summit in 2014 and sat down with them. And, and then they kind of outlined what they wanted. And it was like, mm, we're not too far off from what they, they really wanted. And so that was a really fun project to work on um, in partnership there and to see how students are getting involved in advocacy efforts and understanding you know, that trails don't just show up. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of care that goes into that. So, and then being able to work on the team that helped produce the 2016 World Summit that just, you know, really did kind of launch a whole new momentum of mountain biking showcased something different in the US that nobody else was, was doing really at the time. And so, yeah, I feel fortunate that um, the time there really taught me a lot and I feel you know, a lot of people say you, know, you went from working for manufacturers to a nonprofit. And I think it was a conscious decision that I had made. I think everybody comes to a point in their life where they realize that there's something more mm -hmm. to, to things and really try to, you know, define what their purpose is or find their purpose. And I think that was the moment in my life that I started to like, what is my purpose? There's got to be something more. I love bikes. I love riding and being a part of this industry, but um, I just wasn't sure about selling product anymore and marketing it. I, you know, I knew there was something more. And so I feel like Imba was really a great place for me to exercise that, um, that drive within me and try and figure that out, which now you know, coming to Bentonville and being here and being able to share the story of a place that creates an, an emotion and a feeling, there's nothing more rewarding right now. Well, in Bentonville, the trails do seem to just show up. <laughs> I do want to know the story of Bentonville because, <laughs> because Bentonville is like for years and years and years known for Walmart, right? Like it's mm -hmm. family where Walmart was founded. Yep. Now it's 
suddenly emerging as like this bike place, which I know didn't just happen. You've been working on and building for a long time, but tell us kind of how that happened. Yeah. Um, So going back to probably about 2006, 2007, um, there was a, a movement here that started building some trails on some private property. And there were a few mountain bikers around in the area. Um, there wasn't a lot of places to ride, but there were, were some, some spots like Devil's Den State Park is one of the most well-known places that mountain biking kind of got started here in this part of Arkansas. And so there were a few mountain bikers that saw some digging going on and got involved. And they all started pitching in and volunteering and, and digging trails. And eventually it got to the point of like, hey, we could really actually build something out here. And so um, like most mountain bike advocates, they came together and started, um, you know, setting up meetings with different city officials or people within the city to try and build up their, their, um, their power, their advocacy efforts within the community and trying to get buy-in, quite frankly. Um, and a couple of those were members of the Walton family. It's no you know, secret that many of them um, love riding bikes and do so all the time, which is fantastic. I mean, I think everybody deserves the opportunity to ride a bike. Um, and so those groups of advocates started meeting with different people in the city and got buy-in, one of them being Kayleen Griffith, my boss here at Visit Bentonville. And, you know, they were trying to explain to her what they were doing. And she's like, okay, are people going to come travel for five miles? And they were like, oh, maybe not. She's like, well, what else, what else do you got? So they started thinking a lot bigger and broader about how do we expand on that first five miles into the next five miles. And so working with the city parks and rec team, um, the mayor, different city um, city leaders, and got approval to then start building into phase two of what Slaughter Pen is known as now. So they had phase one, phase two, and then quickly thereafter developed phase three. So that was all taking place from about 2007 into 2010, 11. Um, there was discussion starting to happen about connecting um, the Razorback Greenway, which there were portions of it that existed throughout different communities within the region, but there was no one really talking about it as an, an entire system in a, in a vein that connected everyone. And so that conversation started happening as well across the region. And um, as they were moving forward with developing trails and looking at different opportunities, bringing the Razorback Greenway to life, which happened in 2015, connecting basically Bella Vista all the way to Fayetteville. Um, that right now sits at about 40 miles. Um, so that is, the, that is the main vein that connects the entire Northwest Arkansas region. And um, there's lots of soft surface trail opportunities that exist off of that. Um, and, you know, fast forward now, Bentonville in 2015 had Slaughter Pen. Um, there was talk about building out a bunch of trail in Bella Vista. 
and then another park in Bentonville called Kohler Mountain Bike Preserve. So a lot of the trail development that's happened in Bentonville, Bella Vista, and then across the region as a whole has really happened in the last five years. And as of last year in 2019, they were averaging building about two miles of trail a week. Wow. Yeah. That's so, amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. there's gravel. So like, I know we're, we all talk about gravel on this show. So it's like, we're talking about mountain bike trails, but there's also some really great gravel in Bentonville too. So yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, to that piece, um, over the last couple of years, there's definitely been more um, people exploring the gravel. I think there were people here exploring it, but sure. as people have gotten into biking, you know, they're expanding. Like I spoke about the Women of Oz group that um, established themselves as this women's mountain biking group, and they're getting 100 women that come out and ride on, on you know, on a Saturday. And to see how that group has developed that they went from, hey, what's this biking thing? You have some females in there that hadn't been on a bike since they were, you know, children. And now we're riding mountain bikes and now we're getting into gravel as well because they just love all the bikes. Um, and so, yeah, it's just continued to expand our culture in a way that, you know, I think is providing a lot of diversity and opportunity for more people to get outside. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, what I've read is, cause I haven't been there yet, but uh, it's just like lots of trail systems that you can go to from right downtown, which is yeah. nice. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the, the awesome part about Benville is like, if you were to fly in here, you can catch an Uber or something from the airport. And if you're staying somewhere down around the downtown square and an Airbnb or one of the hotels, like everything is bikeable. So you don't have to rent a car at all while you're here um, if you don't want to because everything is right there and super accessible. There's museums that are right off the trail that allow you to, to come in full bike gear. They have no problem with it. They love seeing those those types of patrons to their um, to their. Well, yeah, it reinforces the the you know the emphasis on bikes and the influence in economy um, yeah. is mm -hmm. is huge. And you guys have definitely captured that there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, switching a little bit here. Um, I've gotten to work with you in particular on, on launching Big Sugar, um, which was, you know, a pretty successful launch, I would say, for a gravel event. Unfortunately, we don't get to have it this year um, because of freaking COVID <laughs> enough. Um, we do have a sweet tooth challenge. It's a virtual challenge. People can obviously join us for, and, and we'll give, we'll give uh, listeners a code later to, to join the, the sweet tooth challenge if they want to. But I think what kind of struck me the most is this in this process of working this past year so closely with you, Amy, is that you haven't been your you haven't been well. You haven't mm -hmm. been feeling your hundred percent best, and yet the world would think otherwise. Um, mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit about that? Because I think it's important for people to understand, kind of. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody 
has had their COVID journey. Um, I've been on my own journey over the last year as well, um, just before all the COVID stuff happened. Um, I think this is something that I've dealt with for probably 10 years. Um, and my husband can can also attest to it that it, it had been um, feelings of not ever feeling really right and having different things happen and going in and seeing doctors and then running tests and like, no, you know, maybe your, your B vitamins are low, do this, do that. Um, you know, and he and I had also been trying to start a family and, and that wasn't happening. And so, um, finally in 2019, I, Thing, I had a lot of situations that were happening and I looked at them as individual things. Like I was retaining lots of fluid. Um, I had days where I was completely exhausted and just couldn't even get out of bed. Um, I was getting heart palpitations laying in bed at night when you're supposed to be relaxing and, and unwinding and um, just a series of small things that started adding up, but I was treating them as one individual thing. And finally through a process I, of going to a bunch of different doctors, I finally found one. And it was after a couple months through the summer of going out and riding with some friends and my heart rate would be at 200 at like within 10 minutes Jeez. of being on the bike. And I would spend the next hour in that. And kind of being able to talk, but like, you know, we would joke about it, like, oh, my Garmin must be broken, like something's wrong. And, you know, I looked into that, I, I blame technology, I was like, yeah, something must be wrong with this thing. And it just never, there was never anything I could find. So um, finally, I, I found a doctor and I had a few of them try to tell me that I was probably um, premenopausal and, you know, that I'm approaching 40 years old and that can happen. And I was like, you know, okay, I will let you run tests for that, but I want you to test me for everything else as well. And just really started hitting hard on being an advocate for myself. And during that visit, she found a heart murmur and no one had ever found that before or said anything. And I think that made her think twice about potentially what she had, had just said to me prior. So they ran all kinds of blood work. And that next day I got a phone call from her saying, you need to stop all kinds of activity. You go, you go to work, you come home, you try to de-stress your life. She was surprised. She had no idea how I was getting up and going to work every day, let alone doing these longer bike rides and, you know, just continuing on in this deficit and um, basically told me that my thyroid levels were close to five times higher than that of a um, normal or average person. Um, and so I started digging into what that meant, started obviously doing my own research and, you know, all these light bulbs started going off. I'm like, I've had this, I've had this, I've had this, I've had this, all these things finally added up. And so immediately they send me to a specialist to start figuring out because they want to know why, how, how are, what's causing your 
your thyroid hormones to be overproductive in this case. Um, so they go through a series of tests of ultrasounds and things like that, trying to rule out number one cancer. Um, so that was a hard um, visit to hear. The first thing we're going to look for is whether or not you have cancer of the thyroid. And um, gosh, like I, my dad went through cancer and I never, as hard as that was like to hear it about yourself, you're a little stunned. Um, but I just kept thinking positive that it, it couldn't potentially be that it, it just couldn't. Um, thankfully that came back as negative. So it was on to the next thing. The next thing that they measure is whether or not you have an autoimmune disorder that's um, causing that problem. And so um, they run more blood tests and send them off to Mayo Clinic. And those came back, both of the tests that they did, um, overwhelmingly positive. Mm -hmm. There was no doubt that that was exactly what it was. So at that point, they diagnosed me with what they call Graves disorder. Um, and so it's an autoimmune deficiency that makes your thyroid hormones overproduce. Um, and so we started on the path of medication. Um, and I started asking questions about what else can I do? How do I, how do I get this thing to go away? How do I wrap it up? And, and they, they don't paint the, the best picture for you. You know, they say it's possible to put it in remission, but not likely like you, this is something you'll deal with for the rest of your life. And just so you know, if you get one autoimmune disorder, you're highly likely to develop a second. And what that is could be anything. Um, so I asked questions about what types of food I should be avoiding. Didn't get a lot of um, insight on that. Um, so I took matters into my own hands and started doing my own research and um, immediately started cutting things out of my diet, like gluten and dairy, things that um, other researchers and studies have shown have, have caused because it's, it's inflammation, it causes inflammation. So um, started down on that path uh, when I went to a follow-up in November of last year, my endocrinologist noticed some some issues with my eyes. And I thought it was just allergies. Well, it turns out that second autoimmune disorder had kicked in and they diagnosed me with thyroid eye disease. Um, and it only happens in about 50% of the people that get Graves disease, um, but it did happen to me. And they immediately sent me to a, an eye specialist, an ophthalmologist who is been by far the best doctor that I've seen in all this. He's taken it extremely seriously, um, understood what my lifestyle was, what I did for a living and knew that being on the bike was super important for me. Um, we tried to combat it with, um, vitamins and things like that as they monitored me. And just before Christmas, he told me that if they didn't start intervening with something a little bit more stringent, um, I was going to have a lot worse problems. So thyroid eye disease kicks in. It's active for a certain period of time. It 
varies for everyone. It could be anywhere from a year to two years into sometimes three years. What happens is the antibodies you're, that you're producing attack the soft tissues in your eyes and they create what's called prostasis. And so it causes all kinds of inflammation. Your eyes start protruding forward, your eyelids retract back, um, and then it starts kind of the, the muscle tissue start swelling and pinching on all of your optic nerves. And I started losing um, my upward mobility, my um, peripheral vision. And so riding a bike became super challenging because you need all of those things. Um, so winter was definitely a, a bleak time for me. Uh, they started me on 12 weeks of um, steroid infusions. So I would spend an hour um, at the hospital once a week getting pumped full of steroids and everything that they told me would happen happened. Oh man, this my face oh. changed gained a bunch of weight, just had all kinds of different side effects. Um, you get very moody, kind of angry, all the things that you hear about steroids. All the time. Start Yo, steroids. Yeah. Like yeah. constant PMS. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> My poor husband now is just like, you know, um, bless his heart. He's so patient. Um, but yeah. And then you know, I was probably into three, three infusions left when COVID started kicking in. <laughs> of course, like, you know, all this information's coming out, like if you're at risk and you have an autoimmune disorder or all this stuff. And I'm like, great, what do I do? Like, do I finish these infusions? Do I stay in the, what's, so everyone kind of advised me to continue to go through the process. In the meantime of all that, there was a new drug therapy that had, had been released in early mm -hmm. February to treat specifically thyroid eye disease. It had gone through clinical trials. My ophthalmologist and, and I had both been trying to fight with the insurance company to get approved to do this therapy. Super expensive because it's brand new. Um, and they kept denying it, denying it, denying it. God. Meanwhile, I'm not able to ride my bike. It's getting few and far between. I'm trying to run to stay healthy. And, and that's becoming even more of a challenge because of not being able to really see clearly. And I finished the steroid infusions, go in for a follow-up and what they find is not good. It hasn't helped. And I was told we're taking you in for surgery on your right eye before you actually lose your vision. Jesus, and Amy. Yeah, it was, it was definitely, that was on a Friday and on Sunday I was in for a COVID test and um, meeting my ENT surgeon that was going to be part of the team doing the surgery. And then I was in on, on a Tuesday. Um, so it was, it was definitely a, a really strange time, especially, you know, when they're telling you, we don't want to yeah. people in the hospitals and it was a really weird experience and just, um, but, um, my doctor again, like no holds bar, like he was like, nothing is stopping us. 
um, we're doing this, we're, we're getting this taken care of. Um, so went in, had the surgery, they, it was pretty successful. They had some challenges during it, um, just because of some other problems that I had in the past. And, but, uh, coming out of it, um, recovery was actually pretty easy and, by about a month after I had retained the vision in my right eye, it helped my left eye um, as well. Um, and that same afternoon that they did the surgery, my doctor got a call from the insurance company and that they approved my drug therapy <sighs> for this new um, treatment to treat um, thyroid eye disease. And so the week after surgery, I started on my first infusion therapy and I actually just finished all eight rounds, the beginning of this month. Um, again, like really weird times to be going into, um, a hospital environment and they send you to basically an oncology era, a, you know, places that other people are getting treatments for chemo and um, walking into that place on a regular basis. And people are looking at you like, what's, what is she doing here? You know, she looks healthy. She looks, and you know, it's, it, it's tough because you never know what somebody else is, is going through. Um, but I will say like, I am so grateful Um for all the steps and some of the doctors that I've had along the way. I now have a whole health doctor that I work with. And um, I'm happy to say that my my vision is not 100%, but it's it's back. Um, my, anti, my antibody count has come back negative at this point. Wow. And they are starting to wean me off of the medication that I've been on, um, for the last year. And so some of the, the specialists that I've seen are, are surprised that I've turned around this quickly within a year. Um, and I think that's a lot to do with just being an advocate for yourself and, mm -hmm. and figuring out what's out there. So yeah, it's, it's been tough, especially being in a position where, you know, cycling is my life. It's my day job. It's my passion. It's what I do. I mean, it's how I met my husband and in a place where so many people are riding. Um, there were times during the last year that I totally melted down and broke down that I felt like I was getting left behind mm -hmm. of something that, you know, I, I had, has been a part of my life for pretty much ever. Well, and something uh, that you've helped build. I yeah. mean, you know, like, like honestly looking clear back at your history, you've been part of this for a long time and not just like as an athlete, but also as an advocate and as a, and as um, someone that's built, built up cycling, especially for women. Um, yeah. I'm so glad that you we're just such a strong advocate for yourself because I think that's where we fall, especially women in the healthcare system of, you know, and we also like good grief, you know, I can, I can figure out an excuse for a symptom I'm feeling better than anybody else. 
you know, yep. like, oh, I didn't sleep enough last night or, you know, allergies. <laughs> yeah, allergies, like, oh, I ate something weird last night. And that's why I'm feeling like this. And, you know, I mean, to, mm-hmm. to compartmentalize like that and not take that holistic approach, I think we make that mistake a lot. Mm-hmm. So. One yeah. thing I noticed in your story, Amy, like going all the way back to when you first were working in the bike industry, like you've always been an advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, what tips would you have for other women? Like how to do that? Cause I think sometimes we feel bad taking that role on for ourselves. Like we mm-hmm. feel like we should serve, but you know, you talked about, I went and I learned how to, I took these classes and I learned these things. Um, so any advice you would have for other women? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I would say like, you just don't take no for an answer. Um, I haven't, I think one of the things that's helped me, you know, kind of survive and thrive in this environment is that I haven't let the, the stigma or, um, challenges that that come with being a female in a predominantly male industry um I haven't allowed myself to be consumed by that I've focused on a more positive outcome quite frankly I don't even think about it like I just move forward on stuff like if there's something that I believe in that I'm passionate about you know I I do what I can to sell it, you know, to pitch it, to get everybody else on board with it. Um, And then I look for opportunities to grow and to develop my background and my skill set that allows me to, to be able to, you know, have intelligent conversations and fit in and learn like, you know, it's, it's amazing to see some other women like, um, you know, what's, what's really cool right now is Gabby Adams around here. Like she's so young and watching her in the bike shop and building up her technical skills and Mm -hmm. mechanical skills and everything. It's just like, it's those kinds of things that, you know, just like make me realize like, this is what it's about. Like, this is what being a, um, you know, advocate for yourself and a powerful, strong force is take the bull by the horns and just dive in and, and, uh, you know, work, work hard for it. And everyone Mm -hmm. should work hard for, you know, like every chance that they get. But, um, I guess my biggest advice would be don't get consumed by the, you know, kind of the negative talk, you know, that you can't, or you won't, um, you know, don't let people tell you no. During Women's Uprising, you know, I had a lot of women like, yeah, we're trying to get a seat on the board with our local mountain bike advocacy group. And, you know, they're like, what, what would you do? And it's like, ask, Mm -hmm. tell them, you want to be a part of it, you know, like show up to meetings and say like, you know, okay, if there's not a seat on the board right now, like, when's your next terms? How do I get in? Here's what I can do, like share, you know, what can you bring to the table? Let people know, because if they don't know, then, then maybe, you know, they might not be thinking that they need someone like you. 
Um, Christy, I think you have kind of that same oh yeah story <laughs> of like you just showed up like this is what I can do. No, you don't understand. Like I'm going to help you do this. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and then I think the next level of that is advocating for other women. You know, Gabby's a great example. I met Gabby folding T-shirts at like the original land run mid south. You know, and I'm showing her. Well, you know, this is how we fold our T-shirts for DK because it goes faster. Like <laughs> something that simple, and like just just continuing that connection and giving giving other women the space and the platform to to bring themselves up. You don't have to do it for them. You just have to give them the space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I agree. I think that's. Uh... Yeah. Well, and yep. also just how, when you practice that muscle in one area of your life, just like you said, you know, when the doctor said, well, there's not really much we can do. And you're like, I'm not stopping at that. Like, I'm going to mm-hmm. figure out nutritionally what I can do. I'm going to fight for myself. Like, I think that muscle moves into other areas of your life, whether it's like, I deserve a raise at work, or I deserve to be paid the same as my male counterpart, or I deserve to go for this position. Yeah. You know, practicing it in our quote unquote hobby life can really help perfect. Us. Yeah. Perfect. To take it over to your professional life for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, my, my brother and his wife had a, had their first child together five years ago and, you know, she FaceTimes me all the time, you know, and just to see what she is doing and how she is charging through life. And I, I just like love it knowing that she's growing up in an atmosphere where like, she's not going to be told she can't yeah, do that. Yeah. You know, like my brother treats her just as he does his son. In fact, like she hangs out in the garage and tinkers on all these things with him and everything. And it's just like, not the traditional, you know, space for a female, but like, he doesn't tell her no, it, you know, he's like, oh yeah, she's out there with me every day. She'll call me when she's riding her bike and she's like, Annie, Amy, I'm on my bike. And she throws the phone in her basket and charges around the yard. <laughs> and everything. She's just like, so it's, it's it sounds like Catherine's niece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should be friends. They should definitely be friends. But I think like, as you get older and you see that in someone younger, you want them to have that space too. Yeah. And feel like they can. It makes you realize like the generation before us paved the way for us. Oh yeah. I don't, with all those things, but it like change takes a long time. And mm-hmm. so now we're paving the way for the next generation. Yeah. Of like I want my niece to never go into a bike shop and be talked down to like, right. Exactly. Walk in and say, I need this done. And people just respect her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I had somebody mention to me, um, asking me like, how much longer do we have to keep pushing women, you know, and advocating for women. And I was like, uh, you know, if you're tired of hearing it, then, then actually maybe you should start listening. (laughs) Like, you know, just like, um, the reason we have to keep doing it is because we're not there yet. And we're going to get there. Like I, you know, I think Mm -hmm. I look at how my mom raised me and how I've raised my daughter and, you know, hopefully, you know, how my daughter, you know, she's going to be doing things. My, you know, hopefully my granddaughter or if my daughter chooses not to have kids, that's fine too. But the point being is that next generation is the things that we're fighting for. They're just going to take for granted. Um, I'm looking forward to that day. You know, I'm like, I'm tired of talking about why women should have equal rights. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I mean, anyway. there's so many different, it's just like in life, like 
I remember the first time I came out and did Dirty Kanza. Mm-hmm. Was so terrified about like, oh my gosh, am I going to get through this? And at the time, we were living in Colorado, and I came out, and um, I remember riding through, getting to the creek crossing. And, you know, looking around and assessing what everybody else was doing, because this was the part that I was so afraid of, because I hadn't prepared for this. And uh, I see people like taking off their shoes and all this stuff. And I'm just like, (laughs) I'm just going to go for it. Shoulder my bike and I start walking through and you get to the other side and there's like a steep hill. And climbed up that with my bike on my shoulder stopped at the top. And then there was another one. I don't even remember. Christy, you probably know what part I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) And, uh, kind of got myself back situated on that little middle part and then started riding. And as I'm climbing up this hill, there's a lot of other people walking. And Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of other people, males, females, young, old, whatever. And, I get almost to the top and a guy says to me, looks over and says, what do you have to prove? <laughs> I just looked at him and I was like, um, I'm riding my bike. <laughs> I rode away. I was just, I, I, I remember that moment. God. Like, Seriously? Like, you yep. know, like you don't know anything about my background. I might not look like the most fit bike racer, but hey. Like we're all out here. We all can do some things better than others and it doesn't matter. I just yeah. got that feeling of like, because I was a female and I was climbing the hill and he wasn't. But at that point then, you know, it just fueled me to be like, I'm going to stay in front of this guy. The rest <laughs> of this You just got chicked and you're going to stay chicked. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. But it's just, oh, man. Yeah, it just goes to like, what do you, what do you do with that energy? Right. How do you translate it and, and help just kind of pave that way forward? Like, you know, I hope he was thinking in the back of my, of his head, like, oops, when I rode away from him, you know, maybe the next day after he got over, like getting checked at the hill. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, I'm looking forward to getting back to being able to check check guys again. (laughs) so I think you're doing it on a daily basis just in different capacities so yeah 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 thank you Amy I've loved this conversation um I can't wait for everybody to hear it Mm -hmm. Uh, how if people want to follow you or learn more about biking in Bentonville where should they go yeah um so my personal Instagram is the Amy Ross um Kind of where I post most often. Um, and Amy spelled A I M E E. Yes. True. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, if you want to learn more about Bentonville, you can follow um, Bike Bentonville both on Instagram and Facebook. We also have a webpage, bikebentonville.com. Kind of gives you a lot of information about what kind of opportunities you can find here. Um, both on and off the trail. And um, if anyone's ever down or wants to come and visit the area, like reach out, let me know that you're here. Always happy to help people get connected with um, different groups or, or take them out and show them around. I think that's one of the things that Bentonville has in its favor too is 
one, people are always a little skeptic about coming here as far as what we have, and then they're pleasantly surprised. And so we always kind of win in that category. Um, but to like, if you come here and you're like out on a trail or out anywhere, like you don't know where somebody is going to bring you along with them. People here are just so inviting. And I think that's something that you know, I appreciate so much about our community. Awesome. Take you along. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. And then come down and, and ride the, the big sugar next year. Yeah. Um, or a little sugar. 2021. Wow. Yep. Well, thank yep. you so much for your time today, Amy. Yeah. Thanks for having me, you guys. The Girls Gone Gravel podcast is a production of Live Feisty Media. Subscribe, like, and comment on your listing platform. Our producer is Taylor Mahan Rudolph. You can follow us on all of the socials at Girls Gone Gravel or visit our website at girlsgonegravel.com.